0: The show designed to help real estate agents navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now before we continue, I'd like to introduce my fellow co-host, Rexy, Persian Princess. Uh, What are some other names we have for for you?
1: The Claw. The Claw,
0: well... I don't have a claw anymore. There's no claw, dead claw. You
2: broke my claw. We actually...
0: There's nothing actually wrong with Rex's arm, we just had to restrain the claw. And our favourite butterfly in the sky, Pistol Pete. How are you, Pete?
1: Chanel, thank you so much for these enticing names that you give me. Butterfly, <laughs> where's that come from?
2: <laughs> it's a very common theme with you and butterflies. You all
1: well, team. It's great to be back on.
2: Good to have you on, Pete. Today, I'm really excited about today's show. It's a close friend of mine. We've known each other for probably way too long. i surprised we're still <laughs> friends. But... <laughs> um, Most people in the property industry may not know you um, by name, but they'll know of you through all the things you've done. Unlike typical real estate agents, um, Bill Nicholas Luck is our guest. He started off in a project market space, um, set up his own company called Nyco Property. From Nyco Property, he sold that to an ASX listed company called iBuyNew, rose up the ranks and became CEO of iBuyNew, which was, still is an ASX listed company helped convert that company into a mining company, and now is a chief operations officer for PropTech, another ASX listed company um, who has the market share in all the tech space in real estate. So, thank you for coming on our show.
3: Thanks for having me. and It's um, great to, to be on. I've been I've been a keen watcher of this show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who is your favourite
0: so, co-host? So I have to ask you, Bill.
3: Rex.
2: We go way back, Rex. Man. <laughs> They're friends, guys. Let's be real. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill, let's start. Where do we start with you? Like you've had such an interesting, fascinating career. You've gone yeah. h- as high as you can go, and you're still climbing. Um, w- let's go right to the start. You're in finance first. Let's go how you started into property.
3: Yeah, look about the start, the start of my career, I always, whenever I think about the start of my career, I actually think back before my first job. Um, so when I was up until about 19 years of age. I was absolutely convinced i was going to be a professional soccer player and you couldn't tell me anything different um and i remember um having a realization when i was about 19 years old, years old i was playing in the reserves in a premier league team which is like the second uh division and i thought to myself if you were going to play in europe you probably wouldn't be sitting. <laughs> <laughs> sitting playing reserves in the premier league team and i was probably thought i was way better than i actually was and and at that point, it was a big big moment for me because I, I until that exact moment, I thought I was, gonna, I was dead set, thought I was going to be a footballer. So um, Well, you were, just well, not that good. Yeah, just not that good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, yeah, that's right. I was a footballer, just not a very good one. Um, and um, yeah, so, so I, I started my career in, you know, I literally, I thought, you know, I'm pretty good at talking to people and to people, not at people, to people. Um, And um, I literally looked back then, it was a newspaper, so it was a long time ago, I think it was about 2000, 2001. Um, And I saw a thing, it said, you know, finance, sales, no experience necessary. I'm like, I'm good with numbers, I've always been good at maths and at numbers, and thought I'd go and have a crack, and it was a mortgage-broking job. I didn't even know what mortgage-broking was, never had a mortgage. Um, But I learned, and I was pretty good at it. Um, And about a year after working for that company, I started a little mortgage brokerage, just a small one, just me and a good friend of mine um and i sold that went to work at a bank so i was a banker at i think it was the hampton branch i was the home finance manager they called it the hampton branch in my early 20s and then i then um went on to work for another finance company which is um i was there for about three and a half years that they originally bought my trail book when i was at oh, little the broker, first. and he, he approached me out of the bank um and we we worked there i worked there for about three years and it um Again, I ended up being the director in that business and helping him run it. A um, gentleman by the name of Zah, really good operator. And um, we, I, I had this idea, because we're a mortgage-broking business and um, I love property. Uh, it's always been my, I got into, you know, when I think about finance, why I love finance back then is because of property. No, it's not because of mortgages. Yep. Um, and, um, and I thought there was this really good opportunity to help people like us, who was a mortgage broker at the time, um, help their clients buy investment property. Um, we did it, um, and you know, I pitched it to him, and we did it. We found a company that did it, and we were super bad at it. Um, you know, <laughs> naive, um, and we partnered with the wrong group. Valuations came in, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars low, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when the property was three hundred thousand dollars back then, right? It was a Huge amount yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. you and know, getting finance for that would be yeah, they super, super much overpriced, harder. which we, we again were naive at the time. know unhappy clients we built up a really good business of happy clients over a long time and had done a great job at that um so you know and i don't blame him at all but he said never doing that again yeah (laughs) Um, so um so we didn't but um but i but i wasn't done with it i thought there's got to be a better way to do this and and that's when i started nico property um uh yeah i think it was about 2008 or something like that um yeah 2008 when i started nico and NYCO was a property research advisory, but we were licensed like an estate agent. We made money by selling property, but we were research first. Every prop project that we recommended, we got an independent valuation on, um, and that became kind of our calling card. And over the years, we've built- you provided
2: great reports on everything, yeah. not just valuations. You yeah. had market reports yeah. and growth projections.
3: A lot of people that did that kind of um, that kind of uh, business had a they were trying to sell a project and did research to sell that project, right? Yeah. So, trying to find, we, we did it the other way around, and you, you, obviously you know Theo Konaros my ex-partner um, um, uh, in that business, super intelligent property guy, understood the market really well, and he did that, that part of we, we did the research first. We we'll always research first, found the areas that we thought were gonna do well, looked at which properties we think fit that demographic, and then found projects. And, you know, we did it old school as We actually did them. You know, we used to look at when you know when, when you build out and you're tendering for projects. Mm-hmm. There's a piece of software that you look at. We used to just call the people that had projects in there. We said we, we like that project and and win that business. And then, sounds um, like
2: you reversed the model. You weren't chasing agents. You found the project and then found the right. Yeah.
3: Uh, the easiest thing in the world for us was getting projects exclusively. Yep. Um, selling selling off-the-plant projects is the hard part. Getting exclusive projects, if you can sell them, um, is, is pretty easy. Um, I'm pretty sure it's still the case now. If, you, if, you, if the developers know you can move a project, I mean, yeah, yeah that's the hardest part of selling off-the-plant. So, yeah, so then over the years, we um, we we partnered with some of the you know, biggest mortgage aggregation companies in Australia, people like uh, Mortgage Choice, Yellowbick Road, Val Financial. And you had um, exclusive
2: arrangements from when no other, not many other project marketing companies had them.
3: Yes, some of them weren't, some of them were, some of them there'd be a panel of property companies that were on, some of them uh, were uh, yeah, exclusive arrangements. And then that led me into um, being acquired by, by iBuyNew. And how was that transition? <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. Um, so yeah, Rex, as you know with me, I'm, I love business. so. Um, if you're a friend of mine, you're going, to be, you're going to be happy to talk about business because that's yeah. most of the things that I like to talk about. Um, and, um, and I had a, had a relationship with a guy in, um, in Sydney who I really respected, who was the CEO of iBuyNew at the time. And um, when uh, my ex-business partner Theo left to pursue other things, and I had some ideas about what I wanted to do, um, and you know, so it was a, a fast-growth type of model. And I was talking to Mark about it at the time, um, and I was talking about you know maybe doing a capital raise uh, and that kind of thing. And it just just so happened that. It was perfect timing that iBuyNew wanted a, a channel sales business in their portfolio. So, um, it happened really quickly um, and we were required, yeah, within, I think, it, I mean, it would've taken about six weeks, which is super fast for a transaction. I remember. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> heavily involved, so yeah. Um, and then, talk us through, because you,
2: you end up becoming a CEO of yeah. iBuyNew. Yeah,
3: yeah, um, you know, uh, you go into something with a certain expectation, um, and things changed pretty quickly, um, Mark left, um, who I really respected. Um, he, he left the business, and um, the guy that took over was not, not a bad guy or anything like that, but just he was a real estate guy. So it was just a totally different focus. So, for a, I Buy New was a digital model to transact, it was a property platform that transacted new projects. So, it was a digital business first, sales business second. Yep. Um, and when, um, when you bring in a, a, a CEO of an ex franchise business into, the, into that kind of environment, It's going to become a real estate agency which is not bad it just wasn't what i wanted or what i expected it to be Um, and you know we we had a you know didn't have a great run the next couple of years um you know when i when i um i think it was july 2018 um i was just super unhappy wasn't the environment i wanted to be in i remember i was in fiji and my wife just tapped me on the shoulder she goes why are you still there you know you're not happy there's a million other things you could be doing and you know, when you own when you own businesses for so long, it's not a tr- it's not a you can't just leave. Yeah. But I know, I've still had that mentality. Like I did anything I could to make it work. And I noticed to So I go, you know what? You're right. And um, and I resigned. So um, I resigned uh, from that business, thinking I was going to move into something totally different. And um, and they effectively um, asked they didn't me, accept your resignation. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't accept my resignation. And um, and very shortly thereafter, I became the, the CEO of that business. Um, yeah. In sort of late eighteen, 2018
2: and that had a very long list of challenges
3: yeah i mean i, I remember having you know heart to heart with you Rex, and thinking oh, i don't know if i should do this you know mm. um you know yeah y- it was a business in severe decline um you know nico was doing the, the so one of the was doing okay but the, the main business was in severe decline i mean literally losing millions of dollars a year um, mm. using the markets public markets to raise capital but you know you can only raise capital so many times before people think well it's not going to work right mm. so I think when I took over, we had, um, and this is, a, it was a publicly it company. It's all public information, yeah. so I can tell you this. Um, we had um, one and a half months' capital in the business um, when the business was losing millions of dollars a year. So it was not a not a great uh, situation to be in. Um, and um, you know, uh, but I took that challenge on, understanding what it was. Um, we gave it a. I gave myself three months to turn it around, um, which, in hindsight, was a pretty difficult task. Um, and that was going into, um, I'm sure the real estate agents would know, end of 18 um, was probably the worst market for off-the-plan sales I've ever seen in 20 years that I've been doing this. Really, really tough market. Um, and we had to make some really, really tough decisions, which um, I remember sitting down with the board in January and saying our options are, well, going going the way we are is not an option. Um, option two was you know, um, really downsize, right-size the business significantly and try and really slowly build it back up. Um, or the third option was, um, realize the asset value that we had in, in the several different assets that we had and then relist the business into a totally different um, uh, different, different, business, which is what you're talking about earlier on with it, it turned into a mining business. And we, were, we, got really, um, we worked really, really hard. Um, a gentleman by the name of um, Eric Chow and I um, worked super hard to, to, to make that happen. We got a bit of luck along the way. I remember thinking to myself, everything has to go exactly right for us to survive. Like not one thing could go even 90% right. Everything had to go 100% right for us to survive and, and we got lucky. Um, we worked really hard and-, and I don't know s- if
2: it's luck or your hard work. <laughs> you did some tough work there. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean it's, it's yeah, in hindsight, some of the deals that we did to sell those assets and, um, and, and get that business in a position where we had a clean balance sheet which was attractive to another business to take over. The listed entity um, was a, was a big achievement. I look back, you know, at the time it wasn't fun. Let me tell you, um, a lot of stress, sleepless nights. But um, I look back now and really proud of, of what we did. You know, the there's you know I was a major shareholder, but there's a lot of other shareholders that would have lost everything. You know, you think about people mm. putting money into a listed company, thinking they're going to grow mm. their wealth. Um, so it was it's really really satisfying to know that um, you know, every credit I got paid, every um, every shareholder now has an opportunity a, and and been again call it Lark, call it whatever you want but the business that took over has gone absolutely gangbusters Mm. um so that mining is it's an iron ore business and iron ore prices have gone through the roof and it's done really really well so it's been uh, for us shareholders and uh, i'm a shareholder now um yeah it's been really great for us that that it's been able to have a new life and, and done really well Excellent.
0: Some of the technologies we were talking about prior to, to, to filming. So you mentioned that there's there's a there's a couple of real estate softwares that you're managing at the moment or two in particular. Well, he's
2: moved. So after that, he's well. You he can continue the story because yeah. once was, that I,
0: was I asking you.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are you are you Bill? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Bill. You're Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't asking you. No, continue, Rexy. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> you're right. I'll let him continue. It's all that <laughs> Rex. Rex is the favourite host now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Continue. Now, I, I was always the favourite host. I'm the
0: favourite host. Jason always introduces me as the favourite host. Self- Who that's are for you? Jason. Sit down. <laughs> now, I forgot my question.
3: You're talking about software. The
0: softwares, that's right. Continue yeah. on, Rex or Bill.
3: So, that's a, so, <laughs> so I now work for um, another listed company. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of PropTech Group. Yep. Um, and PropTech Group owns a number of prop tech businesses um, in Australia the agents watching the ones that you'd probably know are um, my desktop which everyone knows legacy system um, older CRM system and vault which is the new age version um, um, of CRM's um, and we also own another company called website blue uh, which does marketing automations in designly um, and also websites and then uh, recently only I think it was last week or the week before we finalized the asset purchase of H1 which was Harcourt's um crm system that they built mm. so we now have um i think 33 percent market share across australia and new zealand of crms i think the second biggest player is about a third maybe just a bit above a third of our size
0: got you something that we were sort of chatting about prior again to, to filming is that you know i was telling you that i had a client recently that i was talking to who still used the program tenacity yeah. now you don't know what tenacity is <laughs> but it's essentially like I still make calls from a landline telephone, you know, that's got a ringer. Like it's so <laughs> old school that I was like, how are you running a business using this technology? So can you talk us through what these technologies actually do and how they benefit agencies?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And you know, if you, if you think back to what PropTech Group is, effectively PropTech Group's a holding company for a number of other tech businesses. Um, the reason we the reason we acquired um, and I'll answer the question around about way yeah yeah that's no, okay um, the reason we acquired um, my desktop and Vault first was if you think about a real estate business now um, real estate CRMs are very different to your typical CRM because it's not just customer relationship management you run your marketing automations on there everything from emails to banners to signboards all get done through your CRM um, your trust accounting your lead generation portal pushing and getting leads back from the portal so it's a really integral part of a business. And we just thought if we can get um, that system into a, into a business and, and work with them with that core system, then it allows us, gives us the opportunity to go and get really good tech from other, other companies and bring them into it, whether it's partnership, whether it's ownership or investment, um, to bring them into the, into the fold and build out this amazing tech stack that helps um, real estate agencies through technology, streamline, optimize, and where possible, automate the buying and selling of real estate. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our end goal, is how can we make that process easier for agents so that you know they can spend more time doing what they're good at and what's important, which is talking to vendors and buyers.
0: And taking away all of that. Now, someone that's... Oh, sorry, you pointed... I was going to lead in to that Please introduction. And I had a really good lead in to it. <laughs> um, Pete not only is very big on technology, he is technology. He's not actually a human. He is artificial intelligence. That's why he's never been here in person. Now, AI Pete, what was your question?
1: Oh, my God, Chanel, this gets better every episode. Thank you so much. Because she keeps drinking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cordial, thank you.
1: Uh. (laughs) At at, um, Real Estate Dynamics, where um, we do a lot of consultancy, we're seeing a lot of tech overload. So, you know, real estate industry has embraced technology to the point where they've actually got so much technology within a business, and they're using five percent of it. How does how to um, the industry avoid just having this plethora of technology within their business, which costs a lot when you've got, you know, seven subscriptions in the P&L. Yeah, how does someone actually choose a tech stack that actually talks to each other as well? It's just like we're actually, as an industry, just being bombarded with so much tech.
3: Yeah, look, the reason why one of our um, subsidiary companies, Vault, has, you know, the top three franchises in the country using them is because, it has a completely open API with some really solid native integration. So we've got 400 other pieces of software that have an API integration into our P software. So if you're a real estate agency now and you're using, you know, five different products, real time agent here, RP data, all these other Vic forms, to get your forms, all these other things separately from your CRM can be really expensive, first of all. But second of all, you know, you've got to log into different areas. You got what we've done is we've been able to build the CRM as your main main point and then have native integration so that you can do everything from within your CRM. So within your CRM, you can fill up different forms. And, yeah, and, yeah, so you, you, can, you can do it all from within the CRM.
1: Bill, Bill, for people out there that don't understand tech and that aren't tech, you know, what is an API? Could you just explain to our audience what an API does?
3: Yeah, so uh, really, real simplistic terms, um, an API is just a way for one system to get information or talk to another system. So if you've got a one-way integration, it means that Vault can talk to that system, we do mostly two-way integrations where we can talk to that system, make it do something, and then that can talk back to us. So API is just a a term um, that's used for that. So when I talk about having um, an open API, it means that we can give other technology providers um, access to our system to be able to send information directly into that. So let's just say you're in our system now and you want to do an RP data search. You don't have to go and log into RP data. You can actually do it from within our system. You can do that search and the results will come um, native Back to our Back into system. your system. Yeah.
2: So you don't have to fill multiple forms.
3: Yeah. So that would obviously avoid
1: duplication of data, save time, be more efficient and have all your data sitting in one space. Would that be one of the actual benefits of an API?
3: Yeah. Look, yes, yes, it will. But also just from a CRM system, even if you look at it from a broader picture, duplication of data is a really big one that we concentrate on. Because you know, unfortunately, when you're getting pushed data from portals, and it's so that when the portal sends information, it can be done through an API as well, um, back to us. So when we get information from the portals, for instance, you know, and if you're a real estate agent, you'll know this: that um, a lot of the time, you're getting information coming in that can be, you know, you get hundred different leads. They've got a lot of them are fake leads, or you know, it's Ronald McDonald or whatever, um, with a dodgy email address, or you might get the same person that's got. Two or three different email addresses, or two or three different phone numbers of mr digit um our crm has uh, as a, has a system where they come into a holding area um and then it shows you if there's any other contacts that are similar to that contact and you can merge them before they come into your crm we, unfortunately right now what happens a lot of the time is it just comes straight into your crm might set up a task to call them but it might not be um, a useful useful um way for the salesperson to use their time. They can be cleaned up by an admin person, by their PA or whatever, before they even get that. And it's always clean data that they're talking to in the system.
2: Hmm. And the system does that itself. So it cleans it up itself or someone has to clean it up? It goes into
3: a holding area okay. and suggests suggest other other contacts that might be the same contact or might be similar contacts. And then the, the admin person, the PA or the salesperson could then um, say, say that, they're, um, that they're using it, that, that it's the same person or not. And it'll go into the system then.
0: Now, Bill, there's a segment of our show called Under the Hammer. It's basically we shoot quick-fire questions at you to get to know you better. Rexy, do you want to start us off?
3: What motivates you, Bill? Geez, what motivates me? Um, I, I've always wanted to build something great. That's what motivates me. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Pete. Pete. What's one thing on your bucket list? Oof. Man, I've done. I pretty much do everything. I'm very impulsive, so I'll do everything that I want to do very quickly. What's up? I want. A, I want a Tesla. That's cool. That's been on your bucket list for a little yeah, while. Yeah, a few years. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: Okay, would you rather have dinner with Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg?
3: I hate ghosts, so Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> alive, they're both alive.
0: Mark Zuckerberg, if he was in front of you, what's one question you'd want to ask him? What
3: motivates you? Mm.
0: Did you just copy that? Because Rex asked that. Yeah, pretty much. An yeah, no, i it every time I'm genuinely interested one every time.
3: Yeah, I'm genuinely oh interested to see what, what drives people like that. I've, I've, I've read a lot about you know uh, I've read a lot of books on people like that, and it's it's really interesting to see what drives what drives people like that. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Mm. Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk. Yeah. The question is, are i well. I'm the host. <laughs> I can do whatever I want.
2: Rexy. Clearly, can I talk? Yeah, you go. <laughs> um, how do you get through tough times?
3: Jeez, it's a tough question, how? how? Um, you just gotta take it a step at a time, you know? Um, you just gotta, you look at the next problem in front of you and try and solve it. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, you gotta be resilient, but it's, it's, resi- being, it's not a choice, you know? It's not easy to say, oh, I'm gonna be resilient. It's not a choice, you know? Mm. Um, you have to really want the outcome, um, you know? Yeah, you know, with with iBuying You, it would have been much easier and protected me as a director of those, I was on the board, would have been much easier to take it into administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been the safest thing for me to do. Um, but we, we persisted because we really wanted that outcome for the shareholders and for mm. the creditors.
0: You hear that, Rex? It's not a stiff drink and a night out at 161. It's resilience. Ah.
3: <laughs> resilience or revolver? <laughs> <laughs> Pete?
1: <laughs> if you could trade a day in someone else's life who would you trade a day
3: off? That, that me, is easy. I was gonna, <laughs> no, I, I was, I was, was gonna know? say
1: Rex. No, Easily, not. Rex. <laughs> <laughs> <That was laughs>
3: Easily. It'd be a Rex or Brad Pitt, but I'll still pick oh. <laughs> Rex. <up there. laughs> Too kind.
2: I'll pay you later. <laughs> Rexy? <laughs> I think it's back to you
0: then. Well, I already asked four in a row, and I
2: go, oh, <laughs> God, I'm going to go back to you. Um, when the borders reopen, if we can, where would you travel?
3: I've got. I haven't been back to Europe in ages. So Greece and Italy. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Your biggest regret in life?
3: Jeez. I, I don't really regret March. hey. Um, what's my biggest regret? I don't, I don't know. This, this is a very difficult question. I don't really regret anything. I don't regret anything. I, I find everything that I've done that's been stupid or wrong, I've learnt heaps from. So I don't really regret anything. Um, I missed, you know, earlier I missed um, a little pocket where I was at Westpac. I left Westpac for a year, year and a half, and I moved up to Queensland and opened a bar. Um, I, I don't regret doing that. it because it was probably <laughs> the best year of my life but, um, but I regret losing so much money yeah, yeah. yeah. fair <laughs> enough
0: so Bill that's the end of uh, our quick five questions but um, Bill I was listening to this fascinating podcast with Joe Rogan recently and he basically talks about if an alien was to arrive on earth right I know this sounds really far fetched but there's a point to it Everything has a purpose. Bees make honey, et cetera, et cetera. So if Alien was to come to Earth and look at what humans do, what is our purpose? And then he went into this spiel about what is the purpose of a human? and what it basically comes down to is that we're here to create technology. We want things faster, we want things bigger, we want things more, um, we wanna spend less time doing things and, and that's what we're basically here on earth to do is to create technology to, to automate things, to make things faster and bigger and better and we're all on this sort of you know, spinning wheel to get technology up and running. So my question is, what is the future of technology particularly when it comes to real estate software?
3: It's a good question, and um, it's one we think about a lot. You know, um, Johanna, our CEO, is a technologist by trade, um, and these are the kind of questions he poses to us and, and, and um, that he thinks about really quite often. And I think it's all about, I think it's gonna be all about making things easier for the consumer. So although our clients are the estate agents, I think really it's about how can we, through the estate agents, make that easier for consumer. And you know, Joe talks a lot about you know getting someone, you know, get, helping an agent get someone when they're you know 18 years old and they sign their first lease, building that relationship with them, helping them get into that first lease, then helping them get their finance or so they get their first home. So building technology that can see see that client from that first initial entry into the property market, whether that's through renting a property or whatever that might be, all the way through their life till they retire and sell off assets. So I think um, where technology is heading in property is finding a solution to a consumer solution through the agents to help a client go through that journey mm. um, much easier. Fascinating. That yeah, is mm.
2: yeah. Mm. and your software, where's the future of this going now, if you can talk about it?
3: Yeah, um, no, no, okay, yeah, I can. So I think for us now it's all about, you know, we, we talk a bit about the ideal tech stack, you know, and, and what's the, what does a real estate agent need in terms of technology to make them be as efficient as possible? And technology in itself is not important. It's about what can it do to make the agent have a better business, um, help more clients, and have better outcomes. So what can we do to build that? We've, got, um, we've gone you know, a big way to doing that by building out what we've got now with our CRM. And you know, our CRM now actually is several products. So it's marketing automation, it's trust accounting, it's lead generation, um, it's, uh, it's you know, inspections, um, it's, it does inspections. It does inspections. So, so uh, it does all those things already in one system, where you might have three or four systems typically to do that, mm. um, or at least paying three or four different modules. Um, so it's it's just further progressing with that. Now we've got you know we've built in website blue so that you can literally build um, post the properties immediately from our CRM onto your website every time a new property goes mm. live, which is already a thing. But you know, we, we've deeply integrated that in now, you know, and we're, and we're looking at, you know, all the other parts of real estate, you know, and as you can imagine, probably can't say too much about exactly what we're looking at, but all the other parts of, of the real estate from a tech perspective, but also even um, from a human perspective, you know, what what do what do agents need to help them become better agents, mm. not just through tech, but also um, just broader uh, broader than that through, you know, whether it's you know, um, giving them the support that they you know, independence, the support that they require that they don't get because they're not with a franchise or, you know, helping property managers um, build out automated templates within our system that the best property manager. You know, the great thing about our system is that we can see every agent in Australia, who's the most successful and what they do. So we can't share that information. Oh, I was about to ask, yeah. who is it and we what can't do share they do? That <laughs> but uh, we, we can see this. We can see if uh, Joe Bloggs is writing two million dollars in commissions. We know how many calls he makes, how many emails he sends? Why can't what? he
0: share that information? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so this is the thing,
3: right? So this is the thing. Let's say Joe Blogs worked for a franchise. Let's call it ABC franchise. We can go to that franchise. and we do this all the time. We can go to them and say, "Hey, AB Joe Blogs is a really good agent. This is his processes and systems. Would you like to share that to your group? Would you might like to make that become him, let him or her become a rock star in your in your franchise? And it's the Joe Blogs sales methodology, and he mm. builds in all his templates." It builds in, you know, it cool. starts. It builds call lists, automated call list that you know you have to call these fifty people yeah, today because he does cool. fifty calls a day. That can all be done, and this is all things that we're working on to make and it really. And you're proactive simplified. about this.
2: You approach the franchisors or the officers or whatever the yeah. case may be. Yeah, we're oh. doing that
3: right now. So um, it, this is this is uh, pretty new to us. That, that where I mean, what you've got to remember with the prop tech group is that the prop tech group itself is four months old. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know, Vault and my desk have been around for ages, but. PropTech Group itself, you know, us, the corporate team, um, the, we've been we've been in this. I mean, Joe, the the final the CEO and CFO uh, started April last year and brought all this together. But um, really, you know, as a group, we've been together since you know January, really, um, since I started. So we're still. These are all things that are happening very quickly, mm-hmm. um, but take a bit of time.
0: Bill, we've had a number of guests on this show, and when I ask this question, or when any of our any of the co-hosts ask this question, we get a very similar answer. It's what when, when we ask the question, where do you see the future of property management? And a lot of our guests have said we see that technology will take over the need for a property manager altogether. Do you agree with that statement? And do you think that there is a way that technology can basically kill property? Ma- I shouldn't say kill. Yeah. Kill out the property management industry.
3: Mm, no. No, I don't. I don't ever see. I don't. I don't ever see it. I mean. Ever, as in you know, ten, twenty years. Let's just because above with technology, if you're looking twenty years ahead, you're kidding yourself. Oh, it's thank so God, critical. I'm going to have a you business. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Look, I think I think what what technology will do is it'll help optimize those businesses, streamline and optimize, them, so maybe you'll need maybe you'll need less property managers. Per you know, now, what's what's the average now? 150 odd properties a property manager if they run it okay, well, give or take, yeah, give or take. So maybe maybe we can get that to 250 with technology or something. I'm just throwing figures around. Yeah. There. Maybe we can work with technology to, and it's already doing that. You know, through COVID, we've seen now that your, your tenants can do their own inspection reports. You know, yeah. So that's already happening to some degree. Um, but you know, I know I'm a landlord and I know that I, I would prefer my property manager still to go and have a look rather than the the tenant taking photos that are you know yeah. maybe yeah. maybe more suited to them than to then to me, yeah. Pete.
1: Bill, like, whilst we're on the topic of property management, we're seeing in what we do about 10% of rent rolls coming up for sales. But in a tech space, both sides of those business actually don't talk to each other. Like, we keep our property management in one tech solution, and then we've got sales in another. Is that something that you know the tech industry is actually going to address?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. And one of, the, one of the, I think, reasons that we stand out so much in terms of the CRM tech space in Australia is that is this single view of customer. So the Vault CRM system that we've got runs sales, PM, and commercial all in the one system. So uh, an owner, uh, uh, sorry, a uh, uh, contact in that system can be a buyer, a seller, a renter, and a landlord, and then also a commercial tenant, seller, all in the one system, all with that single view of customer. So if you're, in a, if you're a property manager and you've got a client that wants to sell, instead of you know, writing an email to your salesperson or picking a salesperson, you can, you can literally click a couple of buttons, send the contact over saying this person wants to sell. That, that salesperson will then have a have, have view of every single bit of history they've had uh, through the ownership of that property, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and then be able to, you know, obviously, much stronger position to win the listing.
1: So when, when technology is consuming some of these obviously low-value tasks, what, what do you see property management sort of raising to? I mean, we're certainly seeing a lot of those property management services go into areas of more value than those low-value tasks. Is that something that you're seeing from a tech perspective as well?
3: Um, not yet. Not yet. Um, but certainly those, those, um, those businesses that I've just spoken about where they've really automated their systems what they've been able to do is, is run better businesses by automating, so the client experience is just as good if not better, because you know, I always say, we all wanna be able to call someone if we want something, but we don't want to always call someone um, because we may not well, we might want an answer immediately they might not answer their phone so if you've got an automated system where you know, i just talked about you could text or go onto a portal or or voice activated and get that maintenance done for you you'd prefer that right um it's the same with us you know a lot of people call us when they've got a when they need to learn something about our system but a lot of people just want to be able to go somewhere and get the answer right like they don't want to talk to us um, and i think it's the same with property managers
0: so bill you mentioned there's three groups that are currently using the, your newest software called is it vault vault yeah yeah
3: there's thousands of people that use it yeah oh, well there's well, three major pretty, groups that are using to... yeah i was saying the top three franchises in australia oh. use it but there's yeah there's um yeah my
0: question is out are void no.
3: oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry
0: i take um, it back can <laughs> i
2: talk about culture yep. you've been through banks you've been through your own small business you've gone to a public listed company you've now gone to new public listed company. As you said, it's four months old. Culture, how do do you lead a business? What makes good management?
3: So when I was running Nyko Property for so long, I thought culture was bullshit. I thought, what's this, this word? It's corporate speak and because we had a small business and me and Theo were there every day and we hired people that were just good people and we could do that because it wasn't hundreds of thousands of people. So we hired just really good people. And so that was it was a good culture, but we just hired good people. You know, we didn't think of it like a culture. We just hired good people. And then when you go into other environments um, where maybe that's not the case, um, you know, and, and different things can affect that, you know, business not going well or maybe just the wrong people were hired, um, then then certainly I think it has a huge impact. and. One of the things I think are most important. Now, uh, when I think about you know how do you, the cultures are be going, it's hard to change if it's already there. And the best way to do it is to hire the right people in the first place, yeah. obviously, if you can, um, and big part of um, building culture for me, I found that you know when I'm interviewing someone, the biggest indicator as if they were just going to be a good person, because that's what I think good culture is—just mm. good people. They don't have to be the same as you. They don't have to be the same age or the same gender or whatever. They're just going to be good people. Um, and if they're good people, I think the best way to identify whether someone is you know is truly a good people is to ask them how they how they see the client in in a situation. You know, what's, what's, what's most important to them, you know, client experience or making money or, you know, so so really you're talking about, you think about you ask questions around customer service and if they feel like the making a client happy is really important to them and, you know, not just saying it, because everyone's going to say that in an interview, but you ask enough quality questions to bring out the truth. Um, I think if you get people that really want to look after the customer, more often than not, they're just good people yeah. and that's how you build a good culture, I think. Um, you know if the culture's already there which it is a lot of the time then you know um, you got to either before you go into that situation assess whether you want to be in it or if you want to change it if you're in a high level role and you want to change that culture um, I think it's a long and difficult process and it's although you know top down directives top down you know, really, you got to you got to think bottom up in terms of you know getting champions in in each part of the business to to live that culture, and then hopefully everyone else follows them. Maybe the highest highest performer in each each part of the business, and and everyone follows them. But um, I can say with experience that um, I don't I don't really have a solution for how to change culture. I think it's really hard, um, and you know you just. If, I, if it sounds really stupid and simple, but it's better just to find a business with good culture. Yeah. In the first place. <laughs> um, if you're going to, want to in- in sounds service. like Stop you found today. one now, though. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Look, this these last three months, I've been completely reinvigorated. I'm working with a super intelligent and really, really good corporate team. You know, the businesses that we've bought, you know, the, their tech teams and the people within those businesses are all fantastic and just, you know, just honestly good people. You know, like um, Vold especially, who has got most of the employees in our business. You know, you just talk to their staff and they're all just all in it for the client. They're all trying to do the right things. Um, you know, and, and one, one of the things that we are trying to do now and is really harness what we know our subsidiaries are good at and our subsidiaries are really good at tech and they're really good at customer service. So then what we're trying to do now is trying to take away all the bits that where we know we can do really well, which is distribution, you know, winning new business relationships, maybe optimizing the current processes. Cause you know, when you run a small business, you do things you know, um, in a certain way because it's, it's, it's how you've always done it. But if you look at a big study, maybe there's a, another technology piece. You know, it's like the, the financial planner that's really good at giving financial planning advice, but not really good with money. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, it's, it's, you know, sometimes when you're a tech business, you're so focused on the client and you're so focused on building the best tech for the client that you kind of don't look at your own back door and say, how can we fix our own systems? So it's sometimes when you've got an outside looking in and you're saying, well, we could just plug in a couple of bits and pieces here that would just make so much more time for our staff. And then from having more time, that means we have even better customer service. So, you know, just doing things like that. And yeah, as a chief operating officer, that's really my role now is, is coming into those businesses and having a look at, okay, how can we make them even better? You know, they're great businesses. How can we make them even better? Make the staff, manage the staff's work easier so that they're happier and they're giving even better client experiences.
2: Mm. And when you're acquiring these businesses, how do you gauge that from an acquisition point of view and merge it into your existing culture, teams?
3: Yeah, so I, I don't get involved in the M&A stuff myself that much, but I'm obviously I'm sitting in the same room as these guys. Um, you know, We've got a full-time M&A person in our business, so you can say we're completely committed to it. Um, but they, they they spend a lot of time with people. So you know, or the, deed, the the due diligence that you do, looking at the paperwork and the financials. I mean, that's all process driven, and you know, you use lawyers and you use accountants and, and you do your own work. But really, I've I've seen you know I've seen Joe crack a beer with quite a few people and sit for two or three hours with them and just get to know them and get to know the people that we want to work with that Joe thinks are going to fit within our framework. Um, and you know, it's in our interest to have. Really good, op- obviously, really good operators in our mm. business. So we, we spend the time with the people, um, not just with their business, but with the actual key people, uh, because you know, especially with small businesses, um, you've always got key person risk. Every small business has got key person yep. risk, no matter how well you're process driven. If you're a small business, the owner is typically a key person risk. So. Um, We spend a lot of time just with the people. Mm. Yeah.
0: Bill, I read a statistic the other day, I'm full of fun facts, in case anyone's (laughs) noticed, that by 2028, 74% of the US population will be working from home. Now, I think that's got a lot to do with technology because as a, a business owner, you can track everyone's activity with technology. With your being on the forefront of technology do you see Australia following that lead and do you think technology will sort of remove the need for people to be part of an office team? Do you think it'll allow a lot more of a flexible working environment which could essentially change the five-day work week? Um, I guess work, work as we sort of know it like that Monday to Friday nine to five. Do you think technology could take that over to some extent?
3: Yeah, I mean, one, you yeah, know, COVID has been horrible, but one positive thing is that uh, everyone's embraced technology a lot more. Correct. Um, and we've now learned that we, if we really wanted to, we could work from home. Most of us, right? And not everyone, but most of us could work from home. Um, I mean, I, I look at me personally, right? I, I, actually, I actually don't love working from home. I, I do it every night, but, um, you know, a full-time being at home, I like that environment because I feed off people. Um, so I think, I think what will happen is we'll have a more of a blended kind of working environment. Um, there will be a lot of people, we have people working from home now in different states, you know, so, um, but we will have an environment where some people work from home full time, um, but I think most people will have like a blended work life. Will I like be in the office sometimes, at home sometimes? And obviously tech's going to play a really, really big role in that, um, you know, about not only being able to monitor what people are doing, which is, I think, is secondary, really. Um, what we've learned is that, you can, you can track that by productivity, you know, how, product, how productive they are. You don't have to have a, you know, there's all these pieces of software that take a picture of your screen every 15 minutes. Do Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you, know, yeah. And, you know, and what we've learned that is... That you, yeah. like you
0: hire a virtual assistant, so we've got virtual assistants, and it takes a photo of their screen, I think, every 30 seconds, so you can track everything that they're doing yeah. every 30 seconds. Wow. Yeah, there's yeah.
3: heaps of project management. I mean, you know, one of the things that we're doing now um, is that we, every sort of, everything that's not just a daily day task, we run it like a project. And that's something I implemented. We use monday.com, which is an awesome piece of software. And, and we run it like a project. So you don't have to be next to each other, sitting in a room, having a meeting about something every day. We don't need meetings for projects now. We do a 15-minute meeting on that project every week, literally 15 minutes, no longer. Um, but everything's updated on that one system. So now we know if you're working for them, no matter where you're working from, everything that you do is updated in that Project management system, Um, so uh, things like that will become more and more popular. I mean, the tech industry has been doing it for ages. They've been using Trello and other Atlassian products, and you know, and and, um, you know, messaging systems where you can build channels, and you know, uh, the tech industry is doing that more and more. And and what we'll find now is that it'll if we start working from home more, it'll it'll just broaden out. Technology is already there. I mean, Mm. we could we could almost all of us could work from home now and not not miss a beat. We did last year, most of us. Yeah, Yeah,
0: exactly right. Pete, take it away. (laughs)
1: Thanks, guys. So this episode's Peak Cheat Sheet is all about structure. It's very apparent in this episode that with technology, you need to review the structure of your business. So for this episode, we're going to have a downloadable checklist on actually how to review your structure of your business. It's going to be available on realestaterenovators.com.au. Back to you, Chanel.
0: Thanks, Pete. Well, it's been a fascinating episode, Bill. And to be honest, I could talk about technology for a long time. Technology is, is the future and it is what we as humans are here to do, is create more technology and faster technology. At times, it can be both a blessing and a curse. Would you argue that, Rex? One hundred
2: percent.
0: There's some brilliant things about technology, but nothing, I guess, in the end can beat human interaction. I think that's the cornerstone of the success of real estate agents and probably all of our businesses combined as well. Bill, thank you so much for being a part thank of the so show. Much, it was absolutely fascinating. Um, any agents that need to get up to date with technology, please get in touch with Bill.
3: You're yeah, than, more than welcome Hi. to get in contact with me. Jump, jump on LinkedIn or I'm um, more than happy for you to, to get in contact with me. You might have some trouble finding me Nicola Zarka, spelling that name, but yeah. uh, you'll, you'll find it there. And I'm, I'm more than happy to help and put you in touch with, um, with our head of sales. And
0: so. if you can't find it online, just ask Siri.
3: Yeah, that's yes. it. <laughs> there you go. Thanks you, Thanks so like much, Bill. So much. Thanks for having me.